0: Welcome to broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com. This is Outside the Walls, Part Three. Outside the Walls, Part Three. We're gonna jump in and we're gonna to go to First Samuel chapter 17, and we're gonna take the same story that we tackled last week, and we're gonna take another another side of it. And we read a lot of scriptures last week. We don't need too many today. We're gonna to read two verses in First Samuel. Ch- Chapter 17, verse 28, it says, Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? Now, I'm going to stop right now. If you haven't, you've missed the last couple of weeks. David, if you grew up in church, you know this, David fought Goliath, the giant, right? And so David fought Goliath. Right now, David is on his way to the battlefield. David is taking lunch to his brothers. That's what his job is. His brothers are mighty warriors. They're on the front lines of the battle, and, and David is the lunch boy. All right, I don't know how he got that job, but he got to take care of the sheep, and he got to, what the Bible says, bring his brothers bread and cheese. So I don't know if they were on a budget or on a fast, but they had to, he got to be, bring the lunch. And so David brought the lunch, and we pick up the story where David now is inquiring about who is this giant? Who is this Goliath? Who is this guy in our way? Who's standing in the way of what God wants to do? And his older brother begins to rebuke him and he says, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Verse 29 says, And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? And this is what we talked about last week is that you've got to, in our own lives, we have to allow a cause to rule our lives. Fear cannot run me if a great cause rules me. Fear cannot control me if a great cause rules me. The greater the cause, then the greater my boldness, the greater my courage, the greater really my perspective on life. Because this life is not about us. I know that's a disappointment for some people, but but this life excuse me, is not about us. This life is not for us. This life is not so that we can fulfill what we want. Outside the walls is about us realizing that our life that God's given us is destined to not just stay in these four walls, but it's supposed to go outside of these four walls. I love what we do in church. I love when we get together. I love that y'all show up. I love that we can have a good time together, but I'm just telling you is that what God does in you has to get through you. And if everything that God does only stays in the church, we are missing out on the purpose that God has for the church. This church is supposed to be a sending unit, a recruiting unit, a training unit, a equipping place. This is not it. This is not the battle. The person sitting across the row from you is not your enemy. The person that took your parking spot this morning on World War III in the streets that's not your that's not your enemy i'm gonna tell you there is an enemy the bible says that the devil comes to steal to kill and to destroy that we are in a battle that we did not wage war as the world wages war we did not fight as the world fights there really is a battle there really is an enemy and for god to use our lives we have to be willing to get outside of the walls it was years ago, Jamie and I, uh, we were at a conference, and we go to every year, and it's a bunch of young uh, pastors and leaders, and uh, we go and, and we hear from great minds, great speakers on ministry and life, and so it was years ago we were there, and so and, uh, one of the keynote speakers, he begins to talk about the call of ministry. And, and, and he just begins to un- unpack this message. And, and he's the keynote speaker. He runs the conference so he can talk for as long as he wants. So he's on hour two of telling us how great the cost is. I mean, he's telling us, man, it is, it's going to be difficult. If you're going to live for God, if you're going to minister in this day and age, it is going to be hard. People are going to hate you. People are going to criticize you. And I just tell you, there's, there's two types of people, all right? There's two types of people. There is one type of person, which I happen to be, that when I hear what he's saying, I am ready to take on the devil like face to face. I'm just like, let's go. I'm ready. Like, it's going to be hard, but we're going to make it. Hallelujah. It's going to be bad, but I'll be on the front lines. Like, I mean, that's, there's that type of person. Then there's another type of person, which happens to be my wife, which is like, ooh, is it going to be that bad? If it's going to be that hard, should we do that? And I remember, I'm like standing up. I can't even sit. People ask, like, why do people stand up when you're preaching? It's because they can't sit down. It's just, I know, it's super spiritual. No, they just can't sit any longer. It happens to me at football games, too. It's just, I'm sitting, I just can't, I just, I just stand up. So it's not weird, just in case anyone's wondering, just you can't, can't sit any longer. And, and so I stood up. I stood up. I'm just like, Ooh, boy, this is good. Like, let's, whew, yeah, let's go. Let's go. I'm going to take on the challenge. Like, whatever comes at me, I'm ready, God. And I look over at Jamie, and she's, like, white. She's, like, oh. And so we go to lunch, and I'm, like, hey, I don't feel like we were on the same page there. Like, I was really loving that session. And she's, like, yeah, I was thinking maybe you should get a different job. I'm, like, wait, what? I'm all fired up. We're going to take the city. she's, like, yeah, that sounds really hard. Two types of people. Now, I'm gonna tell you, today you can take it two ways, okay? I'm gonna tell you, because what I'm gonna give you is not just like elementary teaching, okay? What I'm going to give you today is for the leaders in the room. Uh, What I'm going to give you today is for people that you're willing to take your life outside the walls. You're really willing to say normal isn't for me. The status quo doesn't work for me. Just keeping up with the Joneses has gotten tiring. I feel like there's something in me that's bigger, that's greater than what I'm doing right now, and you want to get outside the walls. And if you get outside the wall, I'm I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what it's like today. And and you can take it two ways. You might be like Jamie, and, and you might be like, oh, I might stay inside the walls. And you might be like me, like before I finish, you run out the back door and say, let's do it. But whatever, this is the conclusion that Jamie and I came to when we're talking over lunch. We're talking about it. I'm ready to take on the world. And she's like wondering if I should go into real estate. And, 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 and you know, so we're, we're, we're back and forth. But we came to the same conclusion, which is interesting. Two different responses, but the same conclusion. That the cost is great, but the cause is greater. And this is what I want to propose to you today, that there might be a cost, but the cause is greater. There might be a cost to serving Jesus. There might be a cost to an abnormal life. There might be a cost to living in faith. There might be a cost to standing for righteousness. There might be a cost for having black and white instead of gray blurred lines. There might be a cost for living with high standards. There might be a cost for really living for God, but there is a cause. It might be a cost, but the cause is greater. I found this to be true, that a great cause will never come without a great cost. A great cause will never come without a great cost. In the story, it it, it talks in our verse and text we read is about Eliab. Eliab is the oldest son of Jesse. Now if you know your Bible, you know that the descendant, uh, that Jesus, the Messiah had to come from a descendant of Jesse. That had to come from Jesse. So the kingship, the Messiah had to come through him. And so Jesse had to have a son that would become king. And then through his lineage, the Messiah would eventually come. So at this time in history, the Philistines are attacking the Israelites. The Israelites are oppressed. And now the prophet Samuel, in that days the prophet was like, they were the authority. The kings went to the prophets for advice. The kings would ask the prophets if they should go into battle. And so the prophet was Samuel. Samuel comes onto the scene, and Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, and he goes to anoint the next king of Israel. And and, and in those days, the prophet would take a ram's horn, they would fill it with oil, and they would pour the oil over the next anointed king. And it would be a sign before God, if the oil would flow, then that was God's chosen man. And so Jesse Jesse shows up with his sons, and Samuel's there, and they're thinking, they're about to anoint the next king. And out walks Eliab. And the Bible describes what he's like. And I want to read it to you. In the the chapter right before our text, we read chapter 17. In chapter 16, it says this. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. And he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So the chapter before we read our text, in chapter 17, in chapter 16, Eliab goes through a very difficult time because he thought he was being groomed to be the next king of Israel. And Samuel comes, and he's ready because this guy's got it. He's handsome. He's tall. But Samuel said God doesn't care about height too much, and that's where I got excited. But... That's for another day. But he said it didn't matter because God doesn't look at the same thing that man looks at. And so he rejects Eliab. Now we fast forward to chapter 17, and Eliab is on the front lines of the battle. David has been in the fields. Now the rest of the story in chapter 16 is that Samuel goes through all of the brothers. He doesn't anoint any of them. He tells Jesse, none of these guys are it. Do you have any more sons? And they're like, Jesse's like trying to remember. He's like, oh, yeah, I do have another kid. See, when you have that many kids, it's just like, wait, like, where's the, where's the, where's the checkoff list? Yeah, John, Susan. it's like, you start going through. So he's like, oh, yeah, I've got David. David's out in the fields. I mean, I don't think you want David. And Samuel says, I want you to bring David here. So David comes in from the field, and the Bible says that Samuel anointed him the next king of Israel. Now, I want to help somebody with this because many of you, you feel like you're anointed, and because you're anointed, that means you should be pastoring. Because you're anointed, you should be leading. Because you're anointed, people should notice that. David got anointed, and then he went back to the field. That's, that's, what he, that's what happened. He got anointed. You will be the next king of Israel. David's like, oh, man, 15-year-old David. Like, yeah, let's go. I'm about to be the next king. And Jesse says, go back to work. Isn't that disappointing when you feel like God's trying to do something through you, and you just got to go back to your same old job? In the same old routine. And you can feel that God's doing something in you. But I'm going to tell you something. That is part of the preparation. That is part of what God is doing in and through you. It was, it was, it was necessary for David to have to go back to the fields. Now you fast forward to chapter 17. Back to the battle and Eliab is on the front lines of the battle, and David, the anointed king, is back in the fields with the sheep, and they are at a standstill with the Philistine army. They have been on the front lines of the battle for 40 days. They have been in it on the front lines, and here comes little David, 15-year-old, acne-faced David, carrying bread and cheese. And he's like, hey, guys, voice probably cracking, he's like, I brought you some lunch. And Eliab begins to talk to David like he's an idiot. He begins to demean him. He begins to ask him questions like, why are you here? He begins to ask him things that I think probably were very hurtful to David. Back in that day, it was real common that age was your rank. So that if you were the oldest brother, you would hold a certain degree of rank and that David probably would have looked up to his brother, he would have respected his brother, he would have taken insight from his brother, and now he comes bringing him lunch, And his brother says, why are you here? I want to talk for the next couple moments about the criticism that David received for trying to be what God has called him to be. Because I've found out that any person that wants to do something great in the kingdom of God will have opposition come against them in their life. Have you ever tried to do something great for God and it was like the moment you stepped out in faith, all hell broke loose against you? I'm telling you that the enemy wants you inside the walls. The enemy wants you normal. The enemy wants you safe. The enemy wants you content in status quo. So David shows up, and I want to look at these statements that Eliab said. The first thing he said is he said, why did you come down here? Eliab questioned his place. He questioned if he actually belonged. And I'll tell you that we're gonna use Eliab as a backdrop in our next moments together. We're gonna use Eliab as a backdrop, but I'm gonna tell you that these are the questions that come up in our mind every time we decide that we're gonna live for something a little bit bigger than what we are. He says, Why are you here? Have you ever heard that word, that question in your mind? Why are you even trying this? You're not a group leader. You can't disciple. You can't lead. They don't know your past. They don't know what you've been through. They don't know what you did last weekend. You can't stand up for them. You can't lead in the church. You can't do this, be this. What is your place? He questioned the place that he was. Finding your place is not just difficult for you. It's difficult for everybody. This is really the quest of so many people's life is to find where I belong and how I belong there. It is something that we talked about as cause. It's something that is bigger than us. And as a church, we can't exist just to pack a building out. We've got to have a cause that's bigger than us as a man of God, as a woman of God. You can't exist just to have your nine to five just to make it through life unscathed and raise your kids to halfway love Jesus, you've got to have something that is bigger than that. You've got to have a cause that rules you, that runs you, that keeps you up at night. You've got to find your place. And as soon as David comes out of the fields, and he comes to the front lines, and he's taking his little cheese and bread cart, and he gives it to his brothers, and Eliab right away begins to criticize him. He says, what are you doing here? You don't you don't belong here. You know, it's interesting that when, when, when Saul started talking with David right before David went to fight Goliath, this is what Saul said. He said, you can't go fight him. You're only a youth. He said, you're too young, David. You can't. In other words, you don't have a place here. You don't belong Saul didn't know he was talking to a giant killer. He thought he was talking to a little boy. And I'm just gonna tell you, the world thinks they're talking to who you are right now. But they don't know what God put in you. They don't know what God's been developing over the years of consecration and prayer and dedication. They don't know what God's been developing in the struggle of your life. They don't know what God's been developing as you've walked through storm after storm after storm. They don't know what God's doing in you. All they can see is the present you, but God blesses the future you. You, the potential you, the you that he knows is deep on the inside of who you are. He questioned his place. And the second thing, he, he questioned his progress. He said, he said this in our text. He says, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? He kind of insults him. He doesn't even say the sheep, that's bad enough. Shepherd was one of the lowest jobs that you could have in that day. He doesn't even just say, like, where would you leave the sheep? He's like, where would you leave the few sheep that you have? Like, David, you don't even matter. David, you don't even, or let me say it this way. Have you ever felt like you should be further along than you are? Because that's what really Eliab questioned. Eliab questioned his progress. He questioned his progress. You should be further, David. Oh, you're just still a shepherd boy? Oh, you just have a couple sheep? Is that all you've done for God? Oh, you only go to church once a week? Oh, you only go to church once a month? Oh, you don't do this. You don't lead. You don't do this. You don't pray every day. You don't read your Bible. And your your progress becomes in question. Every time you try to do something great for God, you will hear the voice of people or the enemy begin to question your progress. And they'll think that you should be further than what you are. But I'm going to tell you this, God is always preparing you. Even when you think that he's distant, even when you think that you can't touch him or feel him or sense him, God is doing something on the inside of you. It it was years ago, and um, we hadn't built this building yet, and we were over in the, in the building over here where our kids are at right now, and, and it, it's, we were packing it out, four services uh, on a Sunday morning, and uh, you know, you grew by like three people, and you have to add another service, it's wild, and, and, and we wouldn't even, you wouldn't even go out the same doors you came in, some of you remember this, you would come in, you would sit down, and then we'd open the other doors, and you would go out that way, and the next service would come in the back, and we would just, I mean, it just packed in there. And, and, and I got a call one day because we couldn't fit in there for Easter. So we started doing Easter at the Allen Performing Arts Center. And we're going to be doing Easter there again this year. And, and, and that's the place. We've we got it on running reservation that we just keep it. Like, that's, that's our place. That's where we do our, our big services. And So I got a phone call one day from a pastor of a really well-known church in the Metroplex, great reputation, doing great things. And, and, and he, says, he says, hey, uh, you know, I, I heard about your church. And I said, great. You know, I, I thought it was going to be like a, like a good phone call. And he says, um, he says well, you know, um, we really are interested in using and having the Performing Arts Center for Christmas. And we, 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 we want to be able to use it for Easter, and we were wondering if you would allow for us to have your reservation. And I said, well, I said, man, I just thank you for asking. Um, but we, get, we have it reserved. And he said, no, I don't think you understand. It's like we've got a pretty big thing going. And um, we've got a lot of people coming. And we really need the event center for this event. And I said, yeah, um, we got it reserved. And uh, if, if you know me at all, like, I'm not feeling great so far on this conversation. I, I, I don't like the tone. I, I don't like how he's talking about it. And, and he says, well, you know, like, you know I, I know, I know you got that little building, this quote. I know you got that little building over there. And I'm like, okay. Um, and he goes, and we have quite a few people coming, so I think it would, like, be in our best interest if you just allowed us to have the, the reservation. And I said, yeah, um, I don't know if you heard, I, maybe we broke up or something, but we have it reserved. <laughs> and so we talked for a little longer, and he tried a couple other tactics, and I repeated myself again and, and, and let him know that we had it reserved. And then before he hang up, he said something that, that I really struggled with because he, he said... Um, Hey, you know what? Uh, I heard you're raising, trying to raise money for a building or something, and uh, I really hope things turn around for you guys so you can make it. And I'm like, wait, what's, what, what is this feeling? I have not felt this since high school, like right before I got in a fight. Like, this is not good. This cannot be of God. My fingers are tingling. My heart is pounding. I feel like laser focused. I feel like I could fly if I wanted to. I mean, it's just like, what is happening to my body? I'm squeezing the iPhone out of its case. And I'm like, he hung up, but if the phone is still at my face, I'm just like, ugh. Because I'll tell you why. Is when people question your progress, they're questioning what they can see. He saw a little building, but he didn't know the hearts and the souls and the spirits of the bodies that were in that little building. He didn't know what God was doing. He didn't know what God was waking up. He didn't know what God was about to do through the people that were packed into that little poor little building. And you know what? He was hoping that things would turn around, but God was already working. And see, this is what happened with David is that David was out in the fields. And his brothers are on the front lines. And I think his brothers, Eliab specifically, I think he, when David came out to him, he questioned his progress because he looked at him and said, Man, what are you doing here? We are trained soldiers. You don't belong. We got something big going on here. Like, I hope things turn around for you, David, and that you're not a shepherd anymore, and you're not serving us lunch anymore, but this is just the way it is right now. But what David didn't know, is that while David wasn't on the battlefield, the Bible teaches us that he was in the field. And when he was in the field, he learned how to worship and how to war. In another instance in Scripture, in chapter 17, David comes before Saul, and Saul questions him based on his youth and based on his weakness and his inability or inexperience to be able to fight Goliath. And this is what David said. He said, King Saul... When a lion came and attacked the sheep, this is what David said. I grabbed the lion by its beard. That's just bad to the bone. And I killed it. I would have been like, sniper rifle, 500 yards, killed it. David's like, I grabbed it by its beard and killed it. And then he said, and another time, just so you know, um, a bear came and attacked the sheep. And I killed that as well. And then he said, as for your Philistine over here. I will do to him just as I did to the lion and to the bear. What David was saying was that in the place of private, in the place of consecration, in the place when no one saw him. He learned how to win battles. He learned how to do right. He learned how to be what God's called him to be. And I'll tell you this, that God is always developing in private what he wants to put on display in public. And the problem is that many believers want the public spotlight, but they've never been in the private place of the field of preparation. And you have to give yourself to preparation if you want to do something great for the kingdom of God. It's not all about platforms accolades promotions and people knowing your name it is about this secret place the private place it's about a field where nobody knows your name and nobody knows your gift and nobody even knows that you're anointed have you ever felt like your progress got questioned you should be further along that's what david felt That's what he went through. David was developed in the place that others despised. What he learned in private made him successful in public. I'm going to tell you, this waiting place that you're in right now, where you're like, man, I, I got a cause in me. I just don't know when my time is. I got an idea in me. I just don't know when my opportunity is. God is preparing you. God is saving you. Some people say, well, man, David showed up too late. They'd already been on the battle for 40 days. David wasn't late. David was just on time. You may think, man, I'm too late to the party. I'm too late to my assignment. I'm too late in life. You're not too late. You're just on time. God's been saving that giant for you. God's been saving Goliath for just the time when you would show up with your boldness and with your courage, and you would say to Saul, hey, you haven't seen me for a little while. I know you think I just got something little going on, but why you couldn't see me? I've been out in the field, and I've been killing lions, and I've been killing bears, so don't think that I'm unprepared, and don't you dare think I'm too too young or not equipped because I didn't come out here just to bring some bread and some cheese. I came out with the spirit of the living God. And my Bible says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. David came locked and loaded. There is no greater confidence than that that comes from a life of consecration in private. The public place can be threatening, can be embarrassing, can be humiliating if you haven't given yourself to private disciplines. Can I say this? This is like really old school. Character still matters. But the definition of character is doing what is right when no one is looking. Do you think that David would have been promoted like he was if he was just lazing around in the field? No. It was because he was faithful. When no one saw him, it was because he was faithful when people undervalued him. You know the greatest gift you could ever be given in your life is for someone to undervalue you. Well, how how is that a gift? Because that undervaluing is their opinion of what they see, but they don't know what God put on the inside of you. Little did that pastor know when he called us that God was already working a miracle right beneath our fingertips and money was coming in and property was being bought and plans were being established and there was about to be a building going up and that little building couldn't contain what God was doing. So it might have looked little on the outside but everything starts small and my Bible says do not despise Small beginnings, because everything starts in seed form, but it begins to grow. And if God is for it, he'll make a way for it. And for David, he had been through some stuff. He'd been on the backside of a wilderness, caring for sheep, felt like he was looked over, passed over, forgotten. But I'm going to tell you this. What man doesn't see, God always sees. I wish people could see my gift. God sees it. He sees it. I wish God could see like what I could do for the church. God sees it. He sees it. He sees your gift. The last one we'll close with today is Eliab. He says, I know your pride, David, and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. He questioned his purpose. This is what he questioned. He said, why are you even here? Because I don't even see you as part of the equation. I don't see your gifts as strong enough or good enough to be able to make any difference in the outcome of the battle. You don't have a purpose here. Do you know that the greatest search of mankind on the earth is to find their purpose? That is why Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, sold like it did. New York Times bestseller over and over again. Millions and millions of copies because our world is searching for purpose. Purpose. And when David stepped out of the fields, excited, raw, I'm finally out of the private place. I'm finally going to step into my destiny. And Eliab, his older brother, who he respected, who he looked up to, says, What are you doing here? There's nothing like criticism to just turn you around and make you go backwards. I mean, I'm just, I'm as raw as anybody. I like people to like me. I just, I don't like being criticized, it's not fun. I don't like people making fun of me. I don't like people questioning me. I don't like people criticizing the church. It's not fun. But you know what? It's part of it. It's part of it. It's part of the cost. Do you know that anyone that's doing something great in the world has people that love them and people that hate them? What the enemy wants you to do is just to stay safe inside the box so nobody knows you at all. But if you're going to step outside the box, people are going to know your name. If you're going to step outside the walls, people are going to know who you are. And it's not always going to be positive because there's a cost that comes in stepping out of normal. Because you look like an idiot when you just got a small little building. And they say, well, what's going on over there? You can high five the ceiling on your way in. Like, what's happening? What, what is happening over there in that building? And I can high five the ceiling when I go in there. So that's, that's saying so, it's like, what's happening over there? Because they can't. See. You got to believe that God's doing something in you, even without the validation of other people. You've got to believe God's call, God's hand, God's favor is on your life, even when other people can't see it. Rick Warren, in that book, he says the search for the purpose of life has puzzled people for thousands of years. That's because we typically begin at the wrong starting point. We begin with ourselves. We ask self-centered questions like, what do I want to be? What should I do with my life? What are my goals, my ambitions, my dreams for my future? But focusing on ourselves will never reveal our life's purpose. Your purpose is not you. I'll say it again, but I'm I'm saying in love, okay? Just I love you, I love you, but your purpose isn't you. Your purpose is outside the walls. Well, Pastor, I'm busy. I've got kids. I've got stress. I know. I'm not talking about quitting your job and going to Africa as a missionary. Although you might pray about it, but it, it, I'm, I'm just talking about saying it's it's a mindset. Saying I'm not going to be contained. I'm not just I'm not just going to be a, a just regular Sunday Christian. I'm, I'm going to be real with you. I don't want just a regular Sunday church. Some of you be like, well, that made up my mind. I'm not coming back. That, that's all right. Like honestly, we have like 19 churches on this street. So like I'm sure there's a good one that, that, that you can go to. But I'm saying, this church, it's not gonna be just normal. It's not just gonna be regular because there is a cause that has gripped us. That has captured us, and we know what God did for us. We've got to get out. We've got to give to other people. We can't keep it in. I can't keep contained. I've been in the field. God's prepared us in the field. God might have you in the field right now, but you are a giant killer. There is something on the inside of you that that is trying and wrestling to get out. That is God's purpose in you. Why am I not happy? Why am I not satisfied? It's because you're not in your sweet spot yet. I thought I found the career of my dreams. No, you can have the career of your dreams, and you can have a life that is hellish. In the career of your dreams, you have to make sure that you have a cause that's in God's dreams. You've got to have a cause that's on his mind. The Bible says that Paul suffered. says he suffered. Said he went through difficult times. It says he boiled in oil like three times. He was whipped five times. He was stoned, not like medicinally. Like, anyway, never mind. All the young people got it. Um, it, it he, he, he went through some stuff. He said, But my greatest burden is the burden I have for the church. He said, My cause outweighs my persecution. My cause outweighs my criticism. I was driving home this week, and I had some things just to be, like, totally transparent and vulnerable. I had some things hit me this week. Some things come up I had to deal with, counseling things that I had to walk through and deal with, and I was heavy. And I was on my way home, and I could feel tears, like, in my eyes, like, burning. I was just driving, trying to hold them back, and I could feel, like... Honestly, anxiety, just the the, the weight of problems and people and and situations and decisions, and I could feel it, and I know I'm seven minutes away from my house, and I got to walk in the door and wrestle with my boys, real life, so I drove around the block in extra time trying to fight back, tears, and honestly, I asked the question, like, God, is it worth it? I know I'm telling everybody that, but man, sometimes it just feels like there's no break, no pause. Is it worth it? Last night, I was preaching at a conference. I got done preaching, and I was about to sit down, and I saw a kid that we had ministered to for years that struggled with all kinds of addiction and been in and out of all kinds of things, and I saw him. He was there at the conference, and he came up to the front, and he hugged me. And he held me. And I looked at him. I'm like, it is so good to see you. Like, what are you, what are you doing here? What's going on? And he'd been back and forth. And he goes, Pastor Dustin, you're probably not going to believe this. He goes, but I'm back. He goes, I got right with Jesus again. He said, I've never felt more free in my life. He's got tears streaming down his face. He said, I'm back. I think Jesus really set me free. He's like, I went to church before, but I think, I think I really got it. And I went and sat down in my seat, and I was thinking about my previous ride home, and I was thinking, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's why. That's why. It's worth it. 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 If the cause is great enough, the cost is affordable. If the cause is big enough, the courage will be available. If the cause is big enough, the crisis is surmountable. If the cause is big enough, you can do it. You need a cause that's bigger than you. We need a cause that's bigger than us. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.